to see you and uh, to be able to sing together, to go to God in prayer together, and to come to God's Word together. As we are getting situated, you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 4. just want to give a quick update on our global outreach offering that we've been collecting this month. Um, the start of a new year, we always set aside that first Sunday for a global outreach Sunday where we are encouraged to see how God is at work in and around the world. And uh, we hear from a global ministry partner and, and we're encouraged in a variety of ways. One of the things that we were doing for the month of January was raising funds for a global outreach special offering uh, with one of our partners, Mission Eurasia, which is seeking to raise funds and provide wood-burning stoves to those in Ukraine. Um, it is a tangible good that is being done that provides the opportunity for spiritual good to be done. It is a literal inroad into people's homes and lives. And uh, the missionaries that are equipped with these wood-burning stoves are able to be in the lives of people and share with them. And so we had a goal of raising 5000 uh, by the end of January. This is the end of January, and we've raised $6,002 um, as of Friday morning, which is exciting. If you still want to give, if you hadn't yet, please do. Uh, you can give uh, either in the offering box and just indicate uh, Global Outreach Offering, or you can give online and just select the Global Outreach Offering um, option as you give online. Um, so uh, thankful for that generosity, um, and uh, we are trusting that these wood stoves will bring tangible good and spiritual good into the lives of those in Ukraine. Also, on the way out, if you wouldn't mind grabbing one of these Church Around the World, uh, the February edition is available, and it just brings you some timely encouragements and things to be praying about, uh, tough situations that our brothers and sisters in the faith are facing around the world and things that you can be prayerful about, and also encouragements and the ways in which God is at work. So be sure to grab one of these on the way out. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. We are in a series through Ephesians called Gospel Doctrine and Gospel Culture. We're seeing how the foundation of the gospel and what we believe shapes the way in which we live together as a church. Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, the second half of the letter, if you will, is really zeroing in and focusing in on how the gospel informs the culture of the church, what it is uh, that makes us up in the manner in which we live. And so that's where we're at. And uh, we're, we're slowly working through the beginning portion of Ephesians 4 because uh, it's so foundational for our understanding of how the church is to be uh, going forward. This morning, we're going to consider just a few verses, and that's chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. 11 through 13, picking up where we left off last week in that the victorious King Jesus gives gifts to the church, word-based gifts to the church to proclaim the gospel because we need it and it informs us as a church and equips us as we will see here. Um, so let's read and follow along uh, starting in verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God, as we come to your word, we pray that it would find a home in our hearts, that you would do a good work in us now, that you would be with the preaching and the hearing 
in the receiving of this, your word, to your glory and to our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, John F. Kennedy once said, effort and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Effort and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Essentially, the how of life is shaped by the why and the where. This is true for a church also. Without a deepening grasp of the why and the where, a church can spin its wheels in the how it goes about being the church. Purpose and direction are crucial for a church. Ephesians 4 lays this out for us and lays it out in such a way for us to consider here this morning. And and that consideration is that the church is to be equipped with a gospel purpose. The church is to be equipped with a gospel purpose. And this gospel purpose in turns equips the church for Christ-likeness. The gospel purpose of a church equips the church for a gospel or for a Christ likeness and it also encourages then the church toward Christ likeness so we have purpose and direction our purpose is Christ our direction is Christ and we need this otherwise we'll just spin our wheels doing things and chasing things as a church we need to be equipped for Christ likeness and we need to be encouraged toward Christ likeness Let's consider that carefully together this morning, hopefully for our equipping and our encouraging. First is to equip the church for Christ-likeness. Again, this is sort of stemming off of what we considered last week. We have these purposeful, purposeful gifts for the church. We have purposeful gifts for the church. These gifts are to be used as Christ intended them to be used. Look again at verses 11 and 12. And he, the he being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There are three purposeful prepositional phrases describing the role of these word-based gifts that have been given to the church, whether they're uh, formative gifts like the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, or the normative ongoing gifts as the pastors and teachers. These gifts were given for these three purposeful prepositional phrases. Boy, try to say that fast three times. Anyway, um, first is to equip the saints. Secondly, for the work of ministry. And thirdly, for the building up of the body. But the paragraph as a whole, this whole paragraph that we're looking at, shows that the work of these gifts, these word-based gifts, this gospel-proclaiming gifts that Jesus has for the church, is to ultimately equip the church to do ministry and build each other up toward Christ. Let's take this in one sort of phrase at a time. First of all, to equip the saints. What does it mean, then, to equip? To equip means it's a process of adjustment that results in complete preparedness. You're a learning and an adjusting to be more prepared for the things of life. Or it might mean to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. The church is to be a place in which we are being equipped, that is, growing in our adequacy and understanding of how to live out this life that Christ has rescued us to. And the gospel plays a pivotal, central role in that, keeping in mind how desperately we all need 
the gracious God to intervene in our lives and to then strengthen our lives. The centrality of the gospel adjusts a church so that we align with God and live rightly for him. That we are being prepared to live out this thing that we have been rescued to. So a crucial work of the preaching and teaching in the life of a church is to equip us with understanding who God is and what God has done and why that means all the world to us and who we are and how we are to live. Bringing to light the character and nature of God. Bringing to bear on our hearts the work of God through the Son, Jesus, in our place. Helping us to see the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. Taking the things of Christ and and applying them to us. Bringing both conviction over sin, but comfort in Christ. Bringing courage and, and strength to live out our faith. We are to be taught and encouraged and instructed in these things. When we are gathered together like we are now, or when we're in classes or in small groups or in coffee shops, that we're being more and more equipped to be able to speak these things into each other's lives. Because it's worth it, for one. It's worth it. Christ is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth to be the focus of our preaching and teaching. He's worth it to be the focus of that which we are being adjusted to. We are being adjusted. Our lives are being adjusted to Christ. What our experience should be in the life of a church is being adjusted to Jesus. Secondly, we find that it's not only to equip the saints, but also For the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. The word work, it's a purposeful undertaking that has practical and tangible expressions. It's like getting your your hands dirty into the lives of each other. It's intentional action being done. So we're not called to inactivity. We're not brought into something that is just biding our time until we get to glory. That we're called into something that calls all of us to various kinds of degrees into intentional action being done together. And what kind of intentional action is being done? Well, it says ministry. Ministry. Well, that's the same word that we would use for the word deacon. It just simply means service. That the kind of intentional action being done in the life of a church that Jesus has for the purpose of the church is the service kind of work. The kind of work that looks to the interests of others in order to build them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to comfort them, to be intentionally in each other's lives beyond the, hey, how are you on Sunday morning? To serve. To serve third and fourth and fifth graders. To, to serve teenagers. To serve each other in all sorts of ways. And we're called to have this intentional action of service to shape the life of a church. Now, this idea that to equip the saints for the work of ministry, there's a little bit of debate around this. 
expression. It's a prepositional phrase um, that means that the word-based gifts are doing the work of ministry, or it could mean that the church is being equipped to do the work of ministry. Either the gifts these pastors and teachers are to do the work of ministry, or the church is being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And the real answer to that question is yes. Yes. Whether there's a comma there or not, yes. Yes, those in in positions of of leadership in a church are to do the work of ministry, yes. But they are not the only ones. The church is to be equipped to do the work of ministry too. We would serve one another in a variety of tangible ways. Churches live out an intentional service. That our culture is such that people are being equipped to serve in the wide variety of ways service can take shape in the life of a church. Some of it can be formal, like teaching and training and encouraging and discipling others. Some of it's informal, like writing notes, bringing a meal, stopping by and encouraging others in a variety of ways. It, it can take on so many forms, but whatever the form might be, it's intentionally, purposefully, actively done. Third prepositional phrase, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. Building up. We have upbuilding, strengthening, encouragement. Pastor teachers are to care for the strengthening of the body, and they chiefly do so in the preaching and teaching of the word, but then also to see that building up of the body mentality take over the culture of a church. When the gospel is faithfully taught and applied in the life of a body, the body is strengthened toward Christ, for Christ. When the word of God is preached and taught and upheld, it becomes a couple of things simultaneously. It becomes a hospital for the sick and a gym to strengthen the healthy. We might be in here this morning feeling the weariness of life. Facing the the many kinds of challenges that we face in life. Maybe physical challenges or emotional challenges or relational challenges or financial challenges or vocational challenges. All sorts of challenges. And we might come in here feeling a wee bit threadbare. Or we might come in here feeling sunk down over a losing battle with ongoing struggle with sin. We may be feeling as if what is going on in my heart We must gather, and when we do, even if we come from that kind of place, we desperately need the gospel preached and taught and upheld. We need to come here and feast on what God has revealed to us through his word. But maybe we come in here and we feel healthy. God has been doing incredible things in our hearts and our lives. And we, we feel as if God is very much at work. It's not that our life is easy and comfortable and pain-free and all those sorts of things. But, but we feel as if God has been strengthening us. Well, just like we desperately need in our physical realm, if you will, we, we can't bow out of the gym now that we're getting close to February, right? You, you start up at the gym in January, and, and then February comes and, and you bow out. We need the ongoing, steady 
diet and encouragement and strengthening when we gather together. We don't want to skip the gym even when we feel well. We stay in that rhythm. Church needs that for its upbuilding, for its strengthening, for its encouragement. We need to know that when we come here, that we're getting the care and treatment that our souls need, whether they are struggling or whether they are healthy. And remember, as we're considering this purposeful gifts that God has given to the church in this direction and structure, it's not just simply that we gain information. It's not that we come and we gather and we hear the word preached and taught so that we gain information. It's really more about transformation. About the transformation of our hearts and our lives. Think about the Apostle Paul and his time in Ephesus. You can look in Acts, which is sort of the historical account of the beginning of the church. And you can find Paul's time in Ephesus in Acts 19 and 20. He preached daily at Ephesus for two years. Two years. Constantly. Walking through the gospel. Walking through God's redemptive purposes fulfilled in Jesus and why that means everything to the church. Two years. And then it was said of that. At the end of those two years or in the midst of those two years, what was happening? Well, sick people were getting well and well people were being strengthened and equipped. In, in Acts 19.20, it says this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It means God was doing a transformative work in and through the church in Ephesus. People were getting saved and saved people were being strengthened and equipped to then in turn help lead the church to continue doing what the Apostle Paul was doing. People were coming to know Christ and they were being equipped for Christ-likeness. This is happening. Steady diet of it over these years. And then in Acts 20, you see that Paul hands off the reins, if you will, to these elders that he poured into and trained up and equipped. And he was handing it off as he went on to the next place that God was leading him to serve. And they were to take that baton and they were to, to, to take the work up and to follow in the pattern in which they saw in the Apostle Paul. They were being equipped to lead the church toward Christ-likeness. It's important for us because we desperately need this. There isn't a time in which we don't need that. There will not be a single Sunday that we do not need that. Every Sunday we need it. Unless Christ comes back on a Sunday, that's the Sunday we wouldn't need it because then it's here, right? But we need it in every Sunday. We need to gather here for that. We need to be equipped in these ways and we need to be encouraged toward Christ-likeness. There's a purposeful direction for the church. It's not just uh, um, the, the equipping for Christ-likeness, but it's also the gathering us up and moving toward Christ-likeness. Look at verse 13. Continuing on the thought from verse 12, why the building up of the body of Christ is so important, until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or adulthood, if you will, in Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The three things here that are said 
The first is the unity of the faith, the purposeful direction of the church. The ultimate fruit of word-based gospel proclaimers is that Christ would be the object of our attention and our affections. That Christ, all that God has done for us in Christ, would be the object of our attention and our affections. Where a church starts and where a church ends is Christ. He is our entry. He is our every day. He is our end. Our entry, our every day, and our end. That's our direction. And the unity of the faith is our stick togetherness as we seek that direction. That we are sticking together as we're moving toward Christ. Our entry, our every day, our end. That we don't lose sight of that. That we hold on to that. And the unity of the faith is, is to better understand that as a, as a summary statement of what we objectively believe. Usually when you find the faith in the New Testament, that little article, the, in front of the word faith, it's usually referring to the objective foundation of what we believe, not necessarily the subjective experience of believing. The Bible does talk about that in many places, but usually when it's called the faith, it's, it's the things that we believe, not necessarily the act of believing. Though we are encouraged in other ways to encourage each other in the act of believing by reinforcing that which we are believing. Because the objective informs the subjective. The objective truth of what we believe doesn't shift and change. Its foundation is set, we saw in Ephesians 2. Our subjective experience in life and in our faith does kind of go up and down in hot and cold. It does change. We ebb and we flow. But the objective truth of the gospel doesn't change. It's fixed. It's sure. It's strong. We can experience things in life that are frustrating, draining, joyful, painful, purposeful, all of it. So one is to shape the other. The objective is to keep informing and fueling the subjective. And so the unity of the faith in a church is us sticking together and going in the same direction in what we believe. Knowing that we will be moving at different paces in that direction. Knowing that we might be pulled away or distracted or provoked to fracture and fray from that focus. It's why we so desperately need to be recalibrated by God's word. Since moving to New England, I've realized that potholes are just a part of life. <laughs> and they, they do all kinds of things to your alignment. And you start pulling one direction, your vehicle, you feel it pulling to the left or to the right. In life, we experience a whole lot of potholes. Churches can experience all kinds of potholes, and it wrecks the alignment. Pulls us to the left, in which none of this really matters, or it pulls us to the right, which no one can be saved enough. No one would be good enough. Churches can pull in either one of those directions. And so we constantly need recalibrated. We constantly need that alignment checked and fixed. And the place that we need that 
is when we gather together, whether it's a whole group like this on a Sunday morning or smaller groups and aspects of ministry that happens in the life of the church or in one-to-one sorts of things, is we constantly need to come back to all that God has done for us in the personal work of Christ and how the gospel is sufficient for our lives and our ministry as a church. We need to know in expanding ways the depth and magnitude of God's grace for sinners such as us. It aligns us. It aligns our hearts and it helps us stick together when we start to look at each other as also needing grace. Also needing to be reminded of God's love for us through Christ. And that is how we go about sticking together. How we go about having our alignment recalibrated to Christ. And that leads us into the second aspect of encouragement toward Christ's likeness is that we have then a filling knowledge of the Son. Filling, like ongoing, like like constantly learning more and, and understanding more and applying more of all that God has done for us through the Son. Filling knowledge of the Son means that the content of our culture is Christ and Him crucified, if you will. The content is being informing then the culture. And I mean those words, content and culture and Christ. It's to be the content of what we sing. It is to shape what we pray. It is to inform what we preach. It's the content of what is shared and given and experienced in our community. We give out of what we have received. And if we are making much of receiving the grace of God through the gospel, then we want to give to each other out of that which we receive. It informs the content of how we regard one another and bear with one another and care for one another. If we're not constantly recalibrated to that, what then will inform and shape the way that we care for one another or not care for one another? This sort of content shapes a healthy culture in the life of a church. We desperately and always need it. It is a filling knowledge, an ongoing, going Christward. And the word for knowledge means a filling up knowledge. It means that on this side of glory, our knowledge of the Son won't ever be a full knowledge. And you can even wrestle and say that on the other side of glory, it won't be a full knowledge. God's still infinite, even if we are resurrected and with him in glory. But we certainly know that on this side, it will never be filled to the full. It will never be filled to the full. And so for those of you who have been following the Lord for a very long time, you're not done. There's so much more for you to explore and to know and to be transformed by. And for those of you who are just beginning to know Jesus, oh, there is so much more for you. There's so much. And we get the privilege to gather together and to sing it and to pray it and to hear it preached and taught. It's good for our souls. We need this. We need this. And we'll never exhaust it. Isn't that cool? We'll never exhaust it. 
And as we are aligning our lives together as a church toward Christ, we are maturing in Christ likeness. And that's the third one. Maturing in Christ likeness is the goal from here on out. Our goal isn't necessarily an entertainment or experience or emotion, though we might have those things along the way. Our goal is to mature in Jesus. What would we be chasing if entertainment or experience or emotion were our goal? We would just never reach it. But Christ is here. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Christ is glorious. Christ is excellent. Christ is beauty. Christ is power. Christ is grace. Christ is mercy. You will never have a reason in your life why that can't be the object of your focus as a church. We won't be truly joyful, truly known, truly transformed if we put something else as the object, something else as the thing that we're going to. But we will be increasingly joyful, increasingly known, increasingly transformed when Christ is set before us. As we are being equipped toward him and encouraged toward him. And the other aspect of this maturing in Christ is that you never attain it all the way. You never get to tap out and say, I'm matured. Peace out, y'all. See you in glory. There's always more. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? This is the, the purpose of the church is to move toward Christ-likeness. And so I, I just want to encourage us in three ways this morning to, to move in closer, if you will. Three ways to move in closer. If this is the movement of the church is to go in Christ-likeness direction, then I want to encourage you no matter where you are right now, we can all move closer to what God has purposed for us in the church. First, for some of us in here, maybe that move closer means that you move in more consistently to gathering with us on Sundays. Maybe that's the, the move for you is that this becomes more consistent, a, a more needful rhythm in your life. That you go about developing a steadier rhythm of belonging and gathering together for corporate worship. And so let me ask yourself, are there distractions or discouragements that make it difficult for me to move in closer with a more steady rhythm of gathering and belonging on a Sunday morning? Are there distractions or discouragements? Are some of those things, things that you can remove? Are some of those things that God has to make away? For the things that might fall under the category that you need to act upon, I would encourage you to act on those things. There is not a Sunday that goes by that you don't need to gather together to hear the people around you singing and praying to receiving the word together, communion, celebrating baptisms. We need this. Our souls need these things. So I would encourage you to, to move in closer with a more steadier rhythm of gathering and belonging. Secondly, maybe this means moving in more than just Sunday morning. For some of us in here, maybe moving in means more involvement than on a Sunday morning. We've said 
that life groups are relaunching soon. And, and that's a great place to, to come along and, and serve and to, to be connected and to, to be known and to be encouraged. It's a sort of a, a more deeper level of connection in the life of a church. So I would encourage that. Or, or other ways in which you can serve in the life of the church. Oftentimes we feel deeply connected with each other as we are serving. So maybe that's in our children's ministry or youth ministry or, or maybe it's uh, on our, in our food pantry or maybe it's in other ways that we haven't been able to launch yet. Uh, but yet God would maybe move in your heart to spur that along. But I would encourage you to move in closer beyond just Sunday morning engagement. And then th- thirdly and lastly, maybe this moving closer means moving toward others Purposefully. That is to initiate and connect with others regularly to read the word and pray together. That might not seem like a whole lot. Doesn't seem all that innovative, does it? And let me tell you that a steady diet of reading the word and praying together builds you up. God uses it to guard your heart from hardening. But maybe there are some people in here that God would move in your heart that you would want to pursue and say, hey, let's get together and read Colossians together. Let's get together and read the Gospel of John. Let's just read it and pray and talk about what we read. Let's get good coffee, sit down with our Bibles, and just purposefully move closer. So maybe that's something that you also might have distractions or discouragements. And I would ask you to do the same. What are they? Are some of them in your ability to change, to make this happen? I would encourage that. I would encourage that. If there are others, like the stage of life, it's very busy. There are no margins. That there isn't very, there's not a lot that you can change right now. That God would provide a way, make a way. Pray that. And wait for the Lord to make that clear. Without purpose and direction, all of our efforts and all of our courage will just be spinning our wheels. So let's press in together at at knowing this Jesus. Let's make much of him together. May God do a profound work in and through our church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would press it into our hearts, that you would help us to see its relevance for our lives, that it would encourage our hearts all the more to be eager to know you. That our heart as a church family would be eager to love you. And that our heart as a church family would be eager to follow you. And that you would help us to care for one another and care for others. That we would indeed be a hospital and a gym. For your glory, for the salvation of the lost, for the strengthening of the saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.